Hi, David here. The conversation I had with Dan Kennedy recently revolved around a number of topics to do with the current state of the market and state of the economy. We talked about the fact that government and the Federal Reserve has essentially denied both inflation and recession and appears that we are going to have both. In fact, they've never really dealt with inflation without actually having a recession. So that being the case, we've got to really work hard to make the products or services in our respective businesses become essential to the marketplace. In other words, there's got to be a reason stronger than just fixing a current status that would make somebody want to get their teeth fixed or teeth replaced or teeth straightened or oral health. Having that conversation or communication with our constituent customers, clients, or patients will be a very necessary part of our messaging or marketing or just overall communication going forward, assuming that we continue down the road to some level of recession in the coming months or the coming years. We talked about what's feeding the current economy and how long can this last, that there are always opportunities to make money and more wealth during times of change and great chaos. We talked about the behaviors of people post-pandemic, the fact that so much money was put into the economy with stimulus and people couldn't spend the money. So they spent money on new cars or buying vacation homes or remodeling the current home. And now that they can travel again, people are dead set on wanting to get out and travel and not put off things that they weren't able to do during the pandemic. This is going to create new behaviors, new norms, and we have to be resilient enough in our own businesses to realize these behaviors won't change again overnight. The fact that real estate investment takes the emotion out of decision-making and about investment overall. The fact that real estate doesn't drop or increase in a matter of weeks or months, but there's a time span and the illiquidity of real estate overall keeps it remaining a more stable investment overall. We talked about the fact that it's easy to become complacent when times are good and really become isolated in one form of earning income, primarily what we do, our business, our career, profession, and the fact that it's so important to always be diversifying our income streams into other channels that will give us the reliability of being able to maintain a level of income even when other avenues are shut down or decreased. We've ended up by talking about what I've often called someday syndrome. That is putting off living life, enjoying life until someday I get everything right. The fact is nothing is ever just right, that we're always dealing with challenges or problems or rearranging the chairs on the Titanic before it goes down. There's a tendency to want to always move the goalposts. You reach one level, one summit, and say, well, that's not enough. I need to do more. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do more, but are you keeping that in perspective with the parts of life that really have meaning? And that's where the essence of being focused and having clarity comes in. Enjoy the session with Dan Kennedy. I'll talk to you again very, very soon. Hi, Dan. Good to have you back today. It looks like the markets have about run out of playing what I would call the bigger fool theory or the bigger fool game. We've about run out of fools. And what we saw yesterday, and just to time stamp this, we are May 19th. Yesterday, May 18th, 
we saw some of the, what we consider maybe the most resilient retailers out there. Walmart, Target took a big plunge. In fact, I think Walmart took the biggest one-day loss in like 35 years, going back to 1987. Target down 25%. And of course, that's just a couple of points of reference for the entire market that's seen jitters and volatility since the first of this year. In fact, interesting, Dan, somebody sent me a, it's not a meme, but actually it was just a kind of a picture of a broadband of all stocks. And it had really all the sectors you would consider looking at if you were going to be a diversified investor, everything from technology to communication services to consumer cyclical, and then also a consumer defensive, everything's down. So what does that say about being diversified? I'll stop there and let you jump in. Well, so... High comedy. Um, <laughs> this morning, this morning I watched an hour of Maria Bartomarsho on uh, Fox Business. I have a client who's often on there. So there was a often Wall Street creature, financial advisor, and his answers were the occasional accidental truth telling that occurs with experts and with politicians. She asked him, given what's going on in all the sectors of the economy and how the runaway inflation is obviously now hitting everything, like the retail stuff, the Target and Walmart results, for example, and I have a comment about that in a second, were the result of a really bad quarter and a forecast for bad quarters to come. She said, where, what sector, what category where are you putting your client's money? And where is there a safe place that you're moving money to? And he said, and I'm not kidding, he said, well, we have to keep our clients fully invested, but there actually is no good place to move money to right now. And that's what we have out there in the marketplace giving financial advice. Yeah, and with their paws mm. on people's money, yes. doing things with it, right? So what's happened is that the ravages of inflation that have been growing really since the first month of the Biden administration and picking up steam, picking up steam, picking up steam, and they pretend that they're running around with fire extinguishers, but they've got all their fire extinguishers filled with gas. right. It's finally really hit. And so the CEO of Target on his conference call for shareholders, he said something that then today the financial press has been lambasting him for, taking it as his excuse. But again, he was really telling a very important truth. And it is definitely critical to the dental practice side of our conversations. He said... Right now, coming into the summer, everybody has decided they are only willing to buy sunscreen and luggage. By this, what he meant is, and it shows, that everybody is still committed to their planned summer vacation as essential. They were locked up for two years. They basically couldn't go anywhere. They couldn't have a good time. If they did go somewhere, it was a crappy experience. They can get on an airplane now without a mask. They can go to a restaurant. They can go to the beach. And they have decided to come hell or high water, $10 a gallon gas, 
$100 hotel room, 550 We don't care. We're go. Now, to do that, they will decide what other things aren't essential that they are not going to spend money on like in food. order yeah, like, to pay like, for that essential, yeah, right? Like food, gas, health care. Well, yeah, they're cheap. going to trade off all sorts of stuff from, gee, we were on the verge of, I don't know, getting the kitchen remodeled, and now we're not going to do that. I was on the verge of going in for my implants, but I'll put that off, et cetera. Yeah. Now, that's all going to be over with September 1, right? And the crash in <laughs> recreational travel is going to be dramatic. But that's not the point. The point is that when you have prolonged climbing recession, and then when you have it lead into and overlap a recession, which is almost certainly what we are having and going to have. And it's amusing to see all the economists kind of catch up to it. Earlier this year, they were all denying that there was going to be inflation, that it was going to be transitory. Then when they finally admitted there was inflation, they denied there was going to be a recession. Pal, this week was still denying. You no, know, there's not going to be a recession. It's We got this in the bag. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. However, nobody's ever, 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 ever fixed inflation without a recession. Exactly. Who's kidding who? Yeah. Right? And look, the layoffs have already started. Right. So we're heading to Carter. Double-digit interest rates, double-digit inflation, double-digit unemployment, but shortages, et cetera, et cetera. That's where we're going. That means that a lot of spend will move from optional to essential. Right. We'll move from what people decide can be convinced is essential, the money will move from optional. So that means whatever the hell you're selling, you better figure out how to strengthen the positioning or reposition it so that you can make a compelling argument that it is essential now. You better not leave it be optional. Like I have a client, you know him, I talked to him earlier today, Marty Ford. And Marty has music schools and coaches the owners of music schools. So we talked about this very thing, that the messaging for the schools dare not now be about music lessons. Because, yeah, it's nice for the kid to have piano lessons. And the kid likes piano lessons. And, gee, cultural enrichment is a good thing. But that all sounds pretty optional to me. And we both do one of the smartest marketers ever in martial arts schools. Yes. His whole theme was how to have safer, smarter, yep. more respectful kids who will be more successful as adults. Right. Well, that sounds essential to me. Exactly. Right? Martial arts lessons don't sound essential to me. <laughs> so this shift has got to be made by any advertiser, marketer, and seller. Because if you're not in the essential category, you're going to be roadkill over the next 18 months. I agree so much, Dan. And I think the comment made by Target's 
CEO was hopeful, but what I believe we're still dealing with to a great extent right now is the spillover from the COVID pandemic and the you know, helicopter money and the stimulus and the loans and the unemployment on steroids. I think we're still dealing with some carryover. Certainly that set the tone for behaviors, for people having flush with cash, couldn't go anywhere, and they were spending money on different things, whatever that might be, and they still feel flush with cash. But I think if we look at the increase in household debt, they're using now back to credit cards and debt to sustain what they got kind of used to, some actions, some behaviors during the two years preceding us. And now the expectation is, well, we can keep this going. But to your point, the drag, the layoffs, the, the recession is going to start raising its ugly head. And those who are not positioned both uh, from a consumer standpoint financially, those from a business standpoint financially, and we'll talk about investments as well. But all these have ramifications that affect us down the line. And for those of us who are in business and have made it through the last two years, not totally unscathed, there's been certainly a lot of lessons learned, but again, I think in great part, successes today, whether that's in real estate, that's in, in business sectors, those successes have been predicated to a great extent on let's call it fake money, fiat currency pumped into the economy. And as that's being drawn back, interest rates going up, quantitative tightening coming to play actually this next month in June. So they say that's going to change the model entirely. And your words are very well spoken because we can't just rest on our laurels and well, we can't believe our own press clippings and think we're that great. Well, so it's all a version of the old Margaret Thatcher line. Sooner or later, you run out of other people's money. Yep. And so you're exactly right. A large part of the economy was fueled by fake liquidity created by the government just pouring money out the doors as a panicked and desperate reaction to circumstances, principally the virus. And people quickly got accustomed to the combination of a bunch of extra money and being locked up so they couldn't spend it. Then... They burnt through that, but they had also paid down their credit card balances. Right. Then, to perpetuate the behavior, including not working, <laughs> we were up to 11 million unfilled jobs. Right now, this is about to go the other direction. So, to perpetuate the behavior, they went back and ran up their credit card balances. Now, every indication says June, July is about the used up the balance wall that everybody's going to hit. And then they're going to have to make all these difficult decisions. And again, the summer spend, because the airplanes are full, the hotels are fully booked, people are going, and they're spending 600 bucks for a $200 hotel room. Well, they're doing that on credit. Yep. So that's going to use it up. Even kind of the affluent guy's going to get a call from Amex and say, you know, then what? Then we start to have rationality reassert itself and return to a real economy, which for many will be painful one way or the other. There's always good news and there's always opportunity in all of this. And if you've lived long enough and you have a memory, we had a 2008, we had a 1991, and we had a 1976, 77, 78 version of this. We had a little version of it right after 9-11. 
but it was sector-specific. Right. So in every one of these cases, there's been opportunities to make money. I mean, one thing for the real estate investor that is pretty obvious, it started to show itself in April, is that bargains are coming. The bubble money on top of uh, real value is not going to persist, certainly at many price points. April was the first month, I think, in, I don't know, 16, 18 months, something like that, that a significant percentage of houses on the market sold for less than asking price. Right. Not more than asking price. Prices are going to come down. You mentioned your client. It's Ted Oakley and with Oxbow, and I like Ted. For, just for, for context, Ted is a an advisor to really high net worth individuals who, for the most part, have had a liquidity event, larger businesses than really we deal with in my arena. But you know, twenty million thereabouts, he helps them manage that event and their money. And one thing he tells those who have had that liquidity event is whatever you do, whether you work with me or not, he said, just don't do anything for 12 months because the tendency is for people to, to have that fear of missing out that, well, I got to jump in and do something. Well, inflation's eating up my cash. Well, I got to do something. And I really like what Ted says. And I really line with him philosophically. Of course, he helps his investors invest in multi-sectors, but he's very conservative. He talks a lot about liquidity and liquidity is always important, but particularly when you're in times like this, where we've been building the economy and all the markets, you know, off of cheap money, leverage, low interest rates. And in Ted's like, yeah, but you know, that's what causes bubbles. And so if you're not in a position where you have liquidity, you don't have operating cash flow, you don't have profitability, the chance of you getting through a recession are not good, either from a business standpoint or as an investor investing in whatever you invest in. I like real estate because it is non-volatile. It's not emotional. You can't sell out of real estate overnight or with a click of a mouse. It is affected by the economy, but just like Ted talks about, you can be, you can have liquidity or low leverage positions in strong cash flowing markets where the demographics are strong, where the tenant base is going to be overall resilient. You position yourself there. So a lot in common there. And I just, I really appreciate Ted's oversight and his experience, as you would say, in, in multiple cycles. Well, so I talked to Ted this morning, because as you know, this is one of my two private client days a month when I talk to everybody, including you. Ted said, by his calculation, there's been about $12 trillion of non-value money, bubble money, cleansed out of everything in the last 18 to 24 months. And Buffett, a few months ago, said that there was $30 trillion of that kind of money that was going to have to be cleansed out. So if they're both right, there's a whole bunch more trillions yet to disappear. But here's definitely what's true. No matter what went on yesterday, and no matter how I may have felt about it in relationship to some diversified investments, my apartment buildings didn't lose 800 points, the equivalent of 800 points in value yesterday. Right. As a matter of fact, they didn't move at all, up, down, or sideways. And the tenants didn't all leave. Right. See, Target had all their customers leave. They had other problems, too. But they had all their customers switch to only buying shit to go on vacation with. And so they're massively over-inventoried, which they've admitted, in all sorts of categories that seasonally perish like apparel. So they're going to be doing inventory write-downs for another three quarters to come. Walmart's in the same position. They admitted yesterday that they are up to their hind end in patio furniture. And 
they're going to take huge losses on it because people buy patio furniture like right now, April and yeah. May. And guess what? Nobody's buying it because they're shifting all that money to go on vacation. Yep. My tenants didn't do that. They still, as Doberman Dan says, have a preference for living indoors. So they aren't shifting the rent money anywhere because they're going to stay there. Yep. Uh, now, we've picked people who are likely to stay there, of course, but and we're in a location where people tend to stay put. So you're right. It's not volatile. And as important, it's not day-to-day subject to my emotional volatility. Exactly. I really can't make a mess of it if I have a big panic reaction or a big greed reaction or a big any reaction. No matter how mad I may get at the management of Disney or how finally interested I may get in Musk, I can't have that kind of reaction to my apartment buildings. And so I'm sort of restricted, right, from making mistakes that are caused by clickbait and news of the day and news of the moment and some screaming bald-headed pundit on CNBC (laughs) getting me lathered up about this, that, or the other thing. None of that could really affect my apartment buildings. Right. I could call up my broker and say, how much am I up on Walmart since I bought it? And she says that you're up 170 grand. And so I could say, sell it. Yep. And she says, hold on a second, sold. I'm not really going to know if I made a good decision or a bad decision for a little while. My hope is, of course, that it goes down some more and I can buy back in at a cheaper price, right? But whether that was a good thing to do or a bad thing to do yesterday, I couldn't do that with my apartment buildings. I can't call up and stay on hold while they sell them. <laughs> so yeah. while it's the keep calm while everybody else is losing their heads, right? Right. This part of a portfolio, the fixed physical asset that has maybe as its greatest disadvantage illiquidity and immobility has as its greatest advantage imposed calm and imposed lack of impulsiveness. Look, most investors, everybody knows it, doesn't prevent them from doing it, right? But most market investors, equity investors, sell low and buy high. (laughs) And it's because they react moment by moment or day by day or 401k statement by 401k statement. It's the tortoise and the hare analogy. It's are you in it for the long game or are you going to try to play the speculative moves that so many try and, and think that's the way to go? Well, I mean, look, you know, look at crypto and I know your position on crypto. It's the same as mine. You know what I mean? That was going to save everybody and make them multi-billionaires. And it's shown to be so correlated to the very thing that they thought they were becoming independent of, the financial markets. It was supposed to be disconnected and it's just followed suit in spades. It's just tracking down. And there's an old saying, Dan, uh, I know you've heard it, that bear markets return money to its rightful owner. And I think that's exactly what happens in these cycles, the wealth transfer. Look, look, here's what we know so far about crypto. At best, it tracks the NASDAQ. Yep. So you might as well be invested in a basket of NASDAQ stocks. Exactly. Where at least (laughs) there are earnings. (laughs) Right. 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 There are companies 
there are patents. There's technology. So like Zoom, which we all use, its stock is way down. However, it's not going to go to zero, very unlikely. And there's a pretty good possibility that some company buys it while it's at a bargain price, at a premium above that price, and a Zoom shareholder gets out alive, gets out with a small loss, or gets out with a gain because there's underlying assets there. There's technology. There's revenue. There are patents there, right? So what we know so far is, since the cryptos run side by side with the NASDAQ, it's very hard to make an argument to be in crypto instead of NASDAQ. Yeah, I agree. Now, that's best case description of crypto. The worst case descriptions are a lot less generous. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> You've been through and have actually written about the new economy over different business cycles going way back. And I, I know that we're definitely in a new economy now. And we've described some of that to some extent. We haven't even gotten into some of the politics. And we don't have to go deep into politics just to say that the economy is greatly politicized today. I'm interested in like even going back to your younger years. And I know just through what you've often talked about publicly, even in your book, Unfinished Business, about some of the lessons you learned as a kid growing up with very entrepreneurial parents, but also went through some cycles from being relatively affluent to not. Just take us back to any of those lessons or lessons you started to realize as you were in business yourself at a relatively young age, independent. And again, relating that back to where we are today and business as it is, labor costs where they are, people that don't want to work. What are some of the major lessons you would have us take forward in business from here? Well, so I think the biggest lesson encapsulating everything you just said is that there are always new, not new in the sense that they've never occurred before, but new of the moment, presented circumstances over which we have no control that now affect our businesses and our finances positively or negatively. You talk about the labor shortage. In reality, most businesses, including a dental practice, including a restaurant, there's very little they could do about that. Nothing they did caused it, and there's not much that they could do to abate it. So what this mandates is really doing a spectacular job managing everything over which you do have control. And you can never really be casual or laissez-faire about that because there will be enough stuff that you didn't create and you really can't make go away either that are going to challenge you, that you don't need to allow challenge from anything over which you could control. So now if you want to go back to the childhood stuff and my rich dad, poor dad, same dad story. So first of all, the caveat is, I mean, no disrespect to my parents by what I'm about to say, because they had a lot of successful years and I would trade them for another set of parents if I could go back and do it all over again. And they were in business for themselves my entire life. But a few and it don't take many, <laughs> a few really big mistakes that fall under this category of, gee, these are things you could control. One, leaving all the 
active in the business. So if anything happens to the business, whoops, there goes everything. And there's dozens of different ways that could have happened. It happened because of a huge technology change in our industry and my father's decision not to participate in the technology change, although truth be told, had he, he would only have been postponing the inevitable. The same effect could have happened, for example, of him having become impaired because way too much of the business was dependent on what he did with his eyes and his two hands. So there's more than one way that the same capsizing could have occurred. But in any case, it occurred. It was a business that in the years right after JFK's tax cuts was making money hand over fist. And I hate the word, but had excess profits. And there could have been money diverted into unrelated investment. There could have been money diverted into creating multiple streams of income within the same category of business. But there wasn't. And so when the technology-inspired destruction occurred, and it occurred very quickly, the whole ship sank. Dan, is that a matter of, again, it could be anyone, any generation with a, a business model that has produced very great profits, high profits, and just, again, you said, you know, reliance on that one model, not taking some chips off the table, not diversifying. How common is that for people that are, quote, unquote, successful in a particular model, not to see the need to really diversify into other income channels? It's extraordinarily common because, first of all, it's something that we think only happens to the other guy. Yeah. Like having a home fire or a home burglary. We acknowledge the statistics about it and we know it exists, but it happens to other people, it doesn't happen to us. We don't want to deal with it. We're busy harvesting in most of these cases. Somebody has invested in a huge amount of time and sometimes money getting educated, certified, and getting to a highly developed level of skill with that one thing. And so there's huge reluctance to step six steps back from it and deal with a broader picture. There's a sense that this will never end right. when history tells us all things end. So that was ugly. And it's a mistake I did not make. I did not make it as well as early as I probably should have, but I did not make it. I did the opposite. And I think it's really common. And there's a lot of invisible and unacknowledged fragility in people's lives, in business owners' lives, and in professionals' lives, that from time to time rears up and wreaks havoc. You can protect yourself from it. So it is something... You can't control the thing that is going to rear up, but you can control whether or not you're prepared not to be slayed by it. So it's one of those things that's actually in your control. Connected to that is they had no plan B, and that's pretty common too. And I figured out real early that you wanted at least a plan B and maybe even a plan C, and if you never had to use them, you can't feel bad about having invested the time to create them because the alternative, you can't build the ark in the backyard after the flood. And so 
if you build the ark and the flood never comes, better that than the flood comes and you're sitting around saying, you know, shit, I should have built an ark. <laughs> That's right. I saw that. I witnessed and experienced that. I saw overall what dramatic change in the economy can do if you are not nimble, agile, have some foresight, if you're not really paying attention to trends and cause and effect, if you don't really understand or care about economic history, you literally get caught with your pants down. I went and pulled out for a couple people that I talked to today from my lifetime of work archives collection, the seminar brochure from 1992 that was for the seminar where I sold what is now the magnetic marketing system and was then called the Small Business Emergency Survival System. Uh-huh. And there's a four-page brochure for a seminar by the same title where that product sold. And I went and got it because you could literally use it word for word today. There's no future that arrives, no matter how suddenly it arrives, without having provided some clues in advance. And often we can look back with 2020 hindsight and we can see the clues we missed. Sure. Or that we, or more likely, that we just chose to ignore. It's important to, like, discipline ourselves not to do that, to pay attention. And so I saw what the JFK economy did to hook a helium balloon to the business and the family. Mm. And I saw what a huge technology shift unprepared for did to not only deflate that balloon, but to tie an anvil to it and throw it overboard. I really started to build my businesses during the Joe Ford, Jimmy Carter recession. And I saw, of course, what that did to people. And then we saw what the Reagan fixes did to people. So you can't ignore these things and for some reason assume you're going to be immune. It's hard to do when things are going well in your primary income source. It's easy to become complacent. I have docs that reach out to me and legitimately just say, I want to do this, meaning I want to diversify. I'd like to learn how to get into a less volatile market, but it sounds like it's going to take some more time. And that's the thing that nobody ever has enough of. They're trying to balance life at home and family and kids and the business and diversifying into something where you're actually going to learn about it and not just abdicate and toss your money into the wind does take work. It does take a commitment. And I just tell them it's a choice and there's always a price to be paid. It's just, do you want to pay the price when it's a cheaper price to pay like now, or are you going to wait until you just indicated the model turns, there's no plan B and the price now is a heavy price to pay. Many years ago, a guy in my field, a guy by the name of Jim Newman, wrote a pretty good book called Release Your Breaks. It's long out of print, but Jim always talk to people about spending too much time on what he called Someday Island. Yeah. Because there ain't no such place. There's never a ideal time to create dynamic change. Never. So the person who is always waiting for, so I'm going to wait until X, and then I'm going to, as soon as Y. So, gee, as soon as the kids get to college. 
then it's as soon as the kids get out of college. And it's as soon as there's an ancient joke about this to really, really old people, a man and a woman, he's got a walker. I mean, they're really up in years. They're in divorce court. And the judge says, how old are you? And I'm 91. How old is she? 93. And how long have you been married? 60 years. The judge says, what on earth are you doing here getting a divorce now? And he says, well, we've been waiting for the kids to die. <laughs> now, that's a cringe joke, right? Yeah. It's not a laugh joke. But it speaks to the, I don't have time. Yeah. I've had clients in my own business who are like minting money, running around speaking, but they have a single source of income. And look, guys, you got to create product so you can have a subscription and a continuity business, a tape of the month business, a CD of the month business. So you have, you're building up income that doesn't, that's not tied to your ability to go do manual labor tomorrow. And the objection always is, of course, I'd have to say no to some speaking gigs Mm-hmm. in order to work on that every month and get that done. Right. I'd be turning down money. <laughs> and I would say, well, you damn well better. Yeah. You're right. You are going to have to take a step backward financially today in order to be three steps ahead tomorrow. Yes. I had a client, that exact example, who I wrestled into doing it. And six years later, he was damn glad that I literally beat him to get him to do it because he had triple bypass and was another heart attack waiting to happen and did not need to be on airplanes 200 times a year, but had built up a recurring income from auto charge deliverables every month that exceeded what he was making from his active earnings. Yes. And now, of course, the next correct step of that is skimming enough off from both of those categories of earnings to create purely passive income from safe investments. But I had to get him to give up a day a month of income to lock himself in a room and create the intellectual property product for two years. And yeah, it's painful. (laughs) I get it. But the alternative is just so unwise that you just... You ought not let yourself fall victim to the perpetual moving of the goalpost and pushing of the clock. We all think we're going to live forever. That's why rich people die with no wills. That's true. It's all all the time. All the time. I have a whole marketing campaign that I did for estate planning attorneys a handful of years ago, and it features a book of stories of rich and famous people, history and contemporary, who drop dead with no wills. And you go, well, how could such smart people with so much money have let this happen? Well, because they kept putting it off. Because who the hell wants to not go do a show, not go race a horse, not go whatever, and sit in a room with an estate planning attorney and do a will. Well, nobody. That's who. And who can blame them? <laughs> exactly. Right? But Jim Fix, the famous jogging enthusiast, yeah. Yeah. was out jogging and a tree fell on him yeah. and killed him. I think at age 49, was, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's a young, I young mean, guy. The bumper sticker shit happens. Well, it does. <laughs> 
And so we ain't got no guarantee of how long our current active earning opportunity and capacity will be undisrupted or uncompromised. And looping all the way back to your question, I mean, it's the biggest thing I came away from by rich dad, poor dad, same dad, childhood through high school experience was what looked golden could actually turn to shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like suddenly. And you might not know exactly how that was going to happen, but you could bet that it was at least going to try to happen. And now, what have you done about it? Well, those are great lessons and really great perspective, Dan. You have your own life experience as you discussed today, and you also have the experience looking over the shoulders of many, many entrepreneurs high net worth, high income business owners and professionals. And I think that's what gives us all what we need to hopefully lock into and take some of those lessons and put them into action. It's always interesting to talk to you and I appreciate your time and we'll look forward to our next session coming up shortly. All right. Thank you, David. Thanks, Dan.